Good morning, church. My name is John. I serve here as executive pastor. It's a joy to preach with you this morning. We've been making our way through the book of Colossians. Today we've got a little bit of work to do. We are in Colossians 3. We're going to be uh, verse 18 through 4, verse 1. What I love about Colossians 3, one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible, is because it starts with Paul's beautiful a stanza, poetic stanza almost of who Christ is and who we are in him and what we should fix our hearts on and that we're in him and with him. And, and then it moves into this real practical stuff. We talked about this last week at Worship in the Park, real practical stuff about killing the old self, dying, getting rid of the old self and its sinful nature and sinful behaviors and becoming the new self. It's got this beautiful picture of what the, the new self should look like. Christ followers, known for being people of compassion, people that are kind, people that are humble, people that are gentle, people that are patient and bear with one another, forgiving as, as God forgave them. And, and then he says he ties all these virtues together with love. This is what we should be known for. This is what the new self will look like. Well, then Paul moves forward. And we, we find it today in, our, in the text today. He moves forward and so he goes from lofty stanza to, to practical about who we are. And then today he brings it into the home, the household, the new self. If, the, if we're going to become the new self, if we're going to live out what it means to be the new self, we got to talk about the home, about the household, because that is where for better or for worse, we are truly who we are most likely right in in the home if we want to fully become the new self who who god wants us to be who christ has called us to be then we need to have homes and households that help us become the new self and so today we're going to talk about we're talking about marriage and parenting and all all sorts of kind of big topics I'm going to spend the, the bulk of my time just to give you a heads up of where we're headed because it's, it's a journey this morning. We're going, to, we're going to spend the bulk of our time talking about wives and husbands and marriage this morning because I believe that God has a special word for us as a church this morning about marriages. But those of you who aren't married or you're divorced or you're, you're a widow or widower or you're single or maybe you're a young person, you're not married yet, Maybe someday you will be. I, I believe there's something for, for you here. I'm not going to lie or try to make it sound like, you know, it's perfect for everybody. But because there's times when we come to parts of the Bible and come to things in the text that we just, it, it drives our attention to it. And this morning we have that in the text about wives and husbands in marriage. So that's where we're going to spend the bulk of our time. But let me read the passage for us this morning and, and then we'll get going. Colossians 3.18, verses 4, verse 1. Wives, submit to your, yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything. Vanderveld children are here. Good. For this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, 
but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be paid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide for your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. All right, so after reading this text, this kind of a difficult piece of scripture, right? Let's, let's be honest here. It's a difficult, challenging piece of scripture. And there's really four paths that we can take as we look at this and we work to apply it. The, the first path we could take would be just to trash this section of scripture altogether and similar passages like it. Like we just, there's no, there's nothing relevant here. We're talking about wives submitting. Come on, that has nothing to do with the modern age. Slaves, masters, that is, that is nothing, that is terrible. It's like Paul is a, a racist and a promoter of slavery and that he, he has this twisted view of, of marriage. We should get rid of this and all passages like it. Some have taken that path. The second path is to misinterpret this text and to use it for abuse. So instead of doing any work with the text to see what the heart of God may be in this text, people of power take this to say, look, this is about me and the power that I have. Those in authority use this text to abuse others to hold up God's word and to use it as a weapon to further their agenda, to, to, to make them more powerful. And they, they use it to abuse women spiritually, physically, emotionally. They abuse the text and use it to abuse those that they have authority over. In the, in the slave era here in America, Christians would use this text to say, look, the Bible says that I can have slaves as long as I treat them well. It's garbage. Absolute, utter garbage. That's not what the text is about. And people have used this text, they've misinterpreted it, and they've used it for abuse. That's one path that we could take. The third path is what I would call a, a dismissal based on contextual grounds. Contextual dismissal. So one way to handle this passage is to take the parts that rub us the wrong way, the stuff that we don't like, and we just say things like, well, that was just Paul in his day, in his age, and it, it only means something there. And to those people in the, in the ancient, you know, system that they were in, and it doesn't really have anything to do with us, but we're not going to trash it. We're not going to throw it out completely, but we give Paul sort of a pass, like, like he can be like that because he's in the first century and he's writing to a first century audience audience. People would, would take this even a step further and say things like, well, Paul, this, he didn't want to disrupt everything. He didn't want to disrupt the, the home and the building blocks of society and all that. By, and so he's just telling people, just, just, you know, play by the cultural rules of the day. And so we dismiss this teaching on a, a contextual basis. We give Paul a pass for the, what seems like misogyny and racism because culturally, those things were, were normal back then. It's another path that many have taken when looking at difficult pieces of Scripture. 
on the fourth path. The fourth path is what I call healthy hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is kind of a long, nerdy word, but what it, what it means is, is doing the work to interpret Scripture and apply it to our lives, to understand what is the heart of the Scripture, what is really going on here. And so it means doing some contextual work, trying to understand what was going on in the lives of the people and culture and society at that time. We do that often here at GEBC. And almost every week, we, we try to understand who this was written to. It's written for us. All of Scripture is for us. But who is it written to and what might be going on there that would, would kind of help us understand why it was written the way it was written? The other thing that you, we do in hermeneutics is we look at other passages of Scripture to help us inform inform us on the piece of scripture we're reading for this morning. How does it fit in with the greater overarching narrative of scripture? And so we look at pieces of scripture based on other pieces of scripture to help inform us on what is the real message? What is the heart of God? What is the the true teaching here? In hermeneutical work, we look to see what's the the overarching truth? What's the the truth that spans uh, all of the age, all of God? Uh, cultural, cult, all of culture, that it's not bound by any specific age. What's a trans-cultural truth that is going on in the scripture? We're going to take path four today. Big surprise, right? We're going to take path four today. We're going to try to do some healthy hermeneutics because I believe that in the text today, I would argue that in the text today, the principles And the instructions about submission, about love, about service, about obedience, about thoughtful work, putting our our whole selves into work, and about treating people with love and fairness in our dealings. I believe that, that those had meaning, purpose, and application in the age in which this text was written, but I also believe that they apply to us today. These ideas of submission obedience, being fair and thoughtful in your work. I think they transcend the limits of culture and they apply to you and I today. I'm going to spend, as I said before, the bulk of my time on verses 18 and 19, but because I can't help myself, I need to make some overarching comments about the the passage in general and then I want to just make a couple comments on the other Uh, pieces, major pieces of the text this morning. The first thing I want to say here is that Paul's teaching here, and this is important, don't miss this. Paul's teaching here is about household order. Paul is talking specifically about the, the household, the family unit, the Christian home, our household. This is not a a statement about the value or worth of any particular person that's identified in this text. It's not a value statement about women or children or slaves. It's not not an over-promotion of husbands and masters and parents. This is about order and rules in the home. We know from Paul's writing just back in verse 11, That everybody has equal value, equal standing, right? Paul wrote about that. We talked about that a few weeks ago. But the truth is, Paul knows this, and we know this as well, is that, that that humans in general, but particularly in our homes, that we need rules. We need structure to help guide us. 
We need a framework in which to become a home that's full of, of grace. A home that helps us become this, this new self that we're being called to. Paul knows this. We know this, that not just in the home, but in all parts of our life, we need to balance structure and we need, we need to have balance of power in different structures. And so Paul, Paul is, is recognizing this and Paul is helping us understand how do we set up, how do we operate as a household, so that it can become a a place that's full of grace, full of understanding, a place where sacrificial love is is fully exhibited. We say here often at GBC that the home, the home is where we get to rehearse the gospel. We get to rehearse the gospel every single day, dying to ourselves, sacrificing for others. C.S. Lewis says this about the home. He says, If the home is to be a means of grace, it must be a place of rules. The alternative to rule is not freedom, but the unconstitutional tyranny of the most selfish member. So homes need to be a place of rules and structure and order. N.T. Wright, a very popular and well-known Bible scholar, writes this. As an improvised music, uh, he's writing this about the home and about C.S. Lewis's quote. As an improvised music, spontaneity and freedom don't mean playing out of tune. So to be free doesn't mean you don't have any structure or have any rules. All right, the second overarching comment about this text that I would make is that Paul's teaching here, and I, I said a little of this already, but it's important that we we recognize this, that Paul's teaching here is a continuation of what it means to be new, what it means to be made new, what it means to fully live for Christ, to become fully who we are. Christ releases you to be truly who you are, who you are meant to be, to be this new, fully human person, the person he created you to be. What this new nature looks like expresses itself according to God's design and pattern. And that pattern, that design about who we are and who we are to come is not about us. It's not about our agenda. It's not about our needs. It's not about us seeking everything for ourselves. It's about sacrifice and submission and giving, being others oriented. Are you tracking with me? So this is, this is Paul saying, if you want to be your new self, we need to follow that new self teaching that Paul's doing. And he's saying, if you want to be that new self in your home, this is what it's going to look like. That it's going to be about submission and sacrificial love, about giving and not taking. The new life enables submissiveness that puts our spouse first It enables love that refuses to grow bitter. It enables obedience. It enables supportive and encouraging parenting. It enables devotion to doing good work well. And it enables fairness and justice in all of our dealings, in our home and with those that we interact with as a home unit. Part three, the third thing I would say, overarching comment about this text 
Paul's commands here acknowledge, we can't miss this, they acknowledge the authority of the husband and the parent and the master. But we need to be really clear that as he acknowledges that authority, that there's a strong word in how that authority is exercised. That authority must be exercised with love, with sensitivity, with justice, with sacrifice. At the same time, there's, there's a, a recognition, and, it's, and it actually is radical in the first century context, that Paul actually acknowledges that, that those in authority have, have a job and a duty and a rule to actually submit and sacrifice. It almost is like when, when Paul's teaching here, he, he is elevating at the same time women and children and slaves. Are you tracking with me? This isn't just about authority. We see that the type of authority, but also that, that women and children and slaves have a, a place. I'm going to talk about that here a little more in a minute. Fourth thing, and, and this is more specific to the text, to a, the other part of the text outside of marriage. Paul talks about slavery here. And this is one that can get us really fired up because it, it's really hard when we hear the word slaves and slavery, masters, those sorts of things. But what we need to recognize here is that Paul most definitely is not talking about the modern version of slavery that, that we know about. This idea of kidnapping free people and trafficking them as animals or property. That's, that is not what Paul is talking about here. The type of, of, of slavery and masters that Paul is talking about is it's contextual and we need to understand that. In the first century, the word slave and master were used for those that either had a debt to pay or a wrongdoing that they had done and they need to make right for that wrongdoing or for that debt. And so they would give themselves to somebody else to work off the, the thing that they had done wrong or the debt that they had owed. This is not Paul endorsing modern slavery. It's not even really even talking about. There's actually laws and rules that were set up for how those people should be treated. Actually, some of the ancient texts that are complementary to this talk to masters about how do you maximize the slaves in your home? How do you get the most work out of them? So Paul's writing here to masters is actually very countercultural. That masters would give to their slaves what is fair and treat them well. So we need to be careful as we look at the text that we aren't putting our modern notions and framework on slavery onto the text. Paul is not endorsing that kind of slavery. Paul's teaching here on masters and, and slaves, those who are working and those who are supervising, actually creates a, a new type of of working system. This is actually some, some radical teaching. If, if workers, those that we hear, hear as slaves, were to actually fully work hard, fully give themselves to their work as if they were honoring God in what they were doing, and if masters were, were loving God and knowing him and treating those that were working for them with this incredible respect and love, what a unique version of a Christian household. What a radical, different kind of home would be present in Colossae. Finally, the remarks on children and parenting. There's not much 
work that needs to get done here. But what I'd like to point out here is that I find it interesting that Paul recognizes and identifies that children were actually present when this was being taught. That children were in the body of believers. That they were either hearing this letter read or, or perhaps even reading it themselves in some way, shape, or form. That, that they were a part of the church. So let me tell you a personal pet peeve I have. Is when people look at the children of the church, particularly those like teenagers, junior hires, and they say, well, there's the future of the church. Future of the church right there. I, and I get what you're saying, but that is the church. <laughs> they are in the church. They can lead, they can serve, they can sing, they can teach, they can give. Young people are the church. They're a part of our church. They're not just some appendage that someday has worth and value for us. I remember one time we had prayer here at the front of church. We were, we were set up here to pray, and a lot of people were coming down to pray, and the high schoolers, like you guys are, you're back. <laughs> high school, <laughs> yeah. The high schoolers were all s- seated up here, and a woman came down to pray, and one of our high school students, I think he was like in 10th grade or something, it, um, she was a little confused like who was actually praying because everybody had somebody they were praying with, and she just stood in front of this young high schooler and said, would you pray for me? It's Braden Martin. Loves Jesus, knows Jesus, following Jesus. He puts his hand on her and he prays for her to be healed and delivered and all this powerful prayer. I mean, amen, right? That's the church. Children, a part of the church, able to lead and serve and and be a part of who we are as a body of believers. I also want to point out, I think it's interesting here that that fathers are given a specific word. In the ancient first century church, children were not, something that would interact with the relationship with their father would not would be transactional almost there was no love and connection and so Paul's word here to fathers is is countercultural. it's it's telling fathers to to not embitter their children but care and and love their children it's a higher calling a different calling so these Christian households would be different called to a higher standard. All right, let's look at verses 18 and 19 this morning. Wives and husbands in marriage. Let me read those verses again for us this morning. Wives, submit yourself to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. We don't like this type of passage. We don't like it. Men and women both We don't like how it sounds. We don't like how it feels. It makes the hairs on the back of our neck stand up. I had somebody after the first service, they had brought friends. They said, oh, when you opened the text, I was like, oh, great. Oh, no. (laughs) Why do we have to, why do we have that feeling, right, when we get to these types of passages? Let Let me offer a couple things. The first thing is I think that we have messages from culture, from the, the society we live in, the culture all around us. And one of those messages is that the self, me, myself, and I, that I am the most important thing in the entire world. That what I get to do and where I get to go, and it's all about me. That is the message that our culture is sending to us. That we should have it our way, when we want, how we want it. 
guys tracking with me? Like that, that's kind of common, right? That we are the most important thing in the world. So like, here's me and here's the world, right? The world revolves around us and what we want. The ultimate goal in our lives is to be happy. Personal happiness. And so when we hear words like submit and give and sacrifice and humble and gentle, it goes against the message that we're hearing all day long on social media, on television, in the workplace. It's all about us. That message of the self being all about us, the selfishness, it impacts marriage. We're crazy to think it doesn't. We're crazy to think that, that the world telling us that it's all about us is that that's going to work out well in a marriage, right? This has had a, a major impact on marriage. In 2010, the New York Times published an article titled, The Happy Marriage is the Me Marriage. The Happy Marriage is the Me Marriage. Let me summarize this piece of writing. The notion that the best marriages are those that bring satisfaction to the individual may seem counterintuitive. After all, isn't marriage supposed to be about putting the relationship first? Not anymore. For centuries, marriage was viewed as an economic and social institution, and the emotional and intellectual needs of spouses were secondary to the survival of of the marriage itself. But in modern relationships, in modern marriages, people are looking for a partnership and they want partners who make their lives more interesting. The me marriage is the happy marriage. Marriage is not about the good of the marriage, the good of the relationship. It's not about the good of the children. It's not about sacrificing and laying aside my needs for the needs of the family. It's all about my achievements and my experiences and my growth and me and me and me. And subtly tied in with this, subtly tied in with this, that the primary thing that I want from my marriage when it's all about me is sexual fulfillment sexual experiences that the marriage that's what it's all about me 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 and the primary me thing is sexual my sexual desires sexual experiences these factors have an immense pressure on marriages today tim keller one of my favorite authors writes this both men and women today see marriage not as a way of creating character and community but as a way to reach personal life goals. They are looking for a marriage partner who will fulfill their emotional, sexual, and spiritual desires. And that creates extreme idealism that in turn leads to a deep pessimism that you will never find the right person to marry. The truth is, is that the me-centered marriage requires the absolute perfect spouse if it's all about me and it's all about this person helping me be the better version of me or the the more experienced or the the more interesting or whatever if it's all about me then you need to find the perfect spouse the perfect person 
that you need to match each other in all 11 compatibility factors. Find the one. The one. Find the one. And this impacts marriages significantly, not only in the finding of someone to marry, but in just a few short weeks after being married, you realize that the one, not that great. The one is actually a lot like you and maybe even worse. You think, the one, man, they really dressed up and looked nice and cleaned up and did all these things and I thought they were the one. They were going to provide for me this ultimate experience. I was going to grow and I was going to achieve all these things and now they can't even pick a bath mat up off the floor. The one. This is the cultural messages that we have and they deeply, deeply impact how we think about men and women, husbands and wives, the home and what it should be like and look like. That marriage is not about companionship and security and giving of yourself. Marriage is not about this, this companionship, this friendship that is like nothing else in the entire world. That's, that's what marriage is, should be about. That this, this deep and meaningful intimacy with someone that knows everything about you and, and you're so woven together that you're caring for each other and sacrificing for each other and giving to each other in this beautiful picture of Christ giving himself for the church. Instead, we walk into marriages and culture tells us to walk into marriages being all about me. And that message, guys, that message is pervasive. And it impacts us when we come to texts like this. That marriage isn't the, the duty of raising children and building a life together. That marriage is, is not the foundation of society. That marriage is, is not an example to the watching world of Christ's love for the church. The fourth thing I would offer is this, is that there are some cultural ideas about gender. Gender confusion in our world. I can't begin to try to talk about this and unravel everything that's going on with gender in our society, but I will tell you that the conversations about what is really masculine and what is really feminine, that all masculinity is toxic and that all femininity is weak, those types of messages, they impact us in our marriages. They impact how we come to this kind of text. The fifth reason I would say that these are hard messages for us to hear is not only because of the cultural messages that we're hearing, but also because of the way that these texts have been handled in the past. The way that these texts historically have been handled, sometimes even in the churches that we know and the lives of the people that we love. It's been handled so poorly as a, as a tool to abuse others. All right, so let's look closely today. Let's look at Paul's words because I do think, guys, I, I do think that there is a beautiful picture that Paul is painting, a beautiful picture that Paul is giving us of the home, of what it should look like, of how husbands and wives should be in the home, how we should live so that we become fully this new self that's not all about us. 
Wives, submit. That phrase bristles us, doesn't it? It doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel fair. So let me be really clear here about what is going on, what this submission means. And one way to understand what it actually means is for me to explain what it does not mean. Okay? So we want to know what it does mean. Let's, let's first clarify what it doesn't mean. We need to be really clear here that Paul does not say, wives, obey your husbands. Paul does not say, wives, obey your husbands. All the men in the room went, what? Crap. It does not say, wives, obey your husbands. It says, wives, submit. Children and slaves obey. Wives, submit. And submission is a willingness. A willingness. Submission is not demanded. Submission is not taken. This is a willingness. A willingness to say, as Paul has been teaching, that this is not all about me. This is about sacrifice and giving and humbleness and gentleness. It's a willingness. A willingness to submit. This does not mean that you are a doormat, that you should be treated like a slave, told what to do. It's not what Paul is teaching here. And so if you are using this text to do that, stop. Because that's not what's going on here. That's not what Paul is talking about. Second thing is Paul is not talking about the roles, gender roles within the home. He's not saying here that women are supposed to do all the household duties and the men don't. That's not what Paul's talking about here. It's not that the the home is, is the woman's responsibility. In fact, it's quite the opposite. The third thing here is that Paul is not saying in this passage in Colossians, Paul is not talking about life outside of the home. He's not talking about life outside of the home. So in the workplace, men, not all women are supposed to submit to you. Women, you do not submit to every man. That's not what this is saying. You can have a job where the CEO is a woman and you do exactly what she tells you to do. This is not about our working relationships. This is not that no woman can ever lead. We tracking? Okay. Fourth thing, Paul is not saying that all decisions are to be made by the husband and that the wife follows. That is not what Paul is saying. Paul is teaching here about the order of the families in our home, that God has established order in the male and female dynamics in our home for the spiritual health of our home. The husband is the head of the household. We're going to get to that here in Ephesians. Let me read for it. Ephesians 5, verses 21 through 33. Paul gives us here a little bit more detail on, the, on the, these relationships. In Colossians, he's really brief. 
But he wrote this to the Ephesian church, which is very similar to the church in Colossae. Same even uh, area. So he gives us a little bit more detail here about what this is to look like. Let me read it for us. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one has hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, the man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife, and as he loves, him, as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Let's be really clear here. Let's look right at verse 21. What does it say here? Paul starts his teaching really clearly by saying, submit to one another. There's this this mutual submission that's happening, mutually submitting to one another. The wife is commanded to willingly submit to the head of the family unit, the, the head of the household, as is fitting to the Lord, as God's design, as God's plan, as as he's laid out here in Scripture. The husband. I have more to say today to men. Just the husband. The husband is commanded to submit to his wife by loving her as Christ loved the church. You submit to your wife by loving her as Christ loved the church. What did Christ do for the church? He submitted himself to the Father and the Holy Spirit and he came to earth and he died a death on a cross for the church. That is how you submit to your wife. You die. You die for her. You give up everything for her and you submit yourself to loving her so that she becomes the best new person in Christ. That's your call. Submit. Submit to your wife as Christ submitted to the church. And wives, you submit to your husbands as Christ did for the church. This is what men are called to do, to lay down everything for her, that you care for her physically and spiritually. The text talks about feeding her, that you protect her and care for her and support her. That's how you submit to her in love. This is an act of submission, men. You sacrifice yourself for your wife. And when he leads, when he is the head of the family, he does so with patience and gentleness and kindness and humility. This is about loving and caring. He acknowledges that he has a place of responsibility that is unique to him. But hear me, this is not a seat of power. This is not a seat of control. And this is not a seat 
of manipulation because Christ did none of those things. This is about sacrificial love. Are you hearing me? Don't screw this up. Don't screw this up in your home, men. Don't screw this up because it gives your home and your children a twisted version of the gospel. If you want your kids to follow Christ all the days of your life, all the days of their life, you want your kids to stay in the church and stay in faith, live like this, like Christ dying for your wife, submitting in love and sacrifice. And when we don't treat this text well and we don't live this out well, we provide a warped and twisted version of the gospel in our kids' lives. If you think that being the head or the leader or the authority in your home is anything other than an absolute race to the back of the line to serve your wife, you are dead wrong. This is a race to the back of the line, men, to serve and give and sacrifice for your wife and your family. The first shall be last. If you give up your life, you earn it. Men, look at the head of the church. Look at Christ and what he did for us. And if you do and you look at that and you let that sink in, you realize that your call is one of death and sacrifice and giving gently, humbly, kindness, mercy for your wife. Not lording over her with authority, control, manipulation. That's not what this is about. That's the kind of of leader and authority and head you should be in your home, like Christ. Like Christ. So let me summarize things here. The wife foregoes the temptation to rule her husband. The husband foregoes the temptation to put himself first and rule like a king. Church, you need to be really clear here that the picture that Paul is giving us of the rules and the structure in the home and how we live for Christ, this is not about power playing and abuse and manipulation and dysfunction. This is a beautiful picture of a husband and a wife mutually submitting to each other in the way that God has called them to so that, so that their home becomes a place where the gospel can be lived out, a place of grace and mercy and we've gotten this wrong. So many times we've, we've heard this the wrong way. It's a beautiful picture. It's not about power and authority and manipulation and control. This is God's design for the family. This is God's design for marriage. One man, one wife submitted to each other in a way that they are designed and the way that they are commanded. Well, great, John. What? on earth does that look like in my daily life? What does that look like? I get it. You need, you, you need some more detail here to understand this. And I, I get it that there's dysfunction. I have a great friend who says every marriage is a foreign country. Every marriage is unique, has its own things going on that we cannot always understand. So let me offer some things that I think will help us generally here as we think about marriage in our lives today 
Let me start with wives. What does submission look like? It most often looks like respect, more respect. Do you respect your husband and help him lead as the servant leader of your home because he knows you have his back? Do you respect him when you confront him and help him and call him out and encourage him? Do you respect him? Respect doesn't mean that you're a doormat. Respect doesn't mean that you acquiesce to everything he says. You know in your heart right now if you respect the man in your life. God is commanding in submission what it looks like. It looks like respect in Ephesians. Respect. Second thing I would offer is this. You recognize that the words that you use have more power in his life than any person on the planet. That what you say to his face, what you say about him to your children, what you say about him to your friends, what you say about him in private means more to him than you could ever imagine. You wield a power that is like no other in that man's life. And you can wreck him and destroy him or you can build him up simply by the words that you say. How will you wield that power? How will you wield that power? Third thing, don't give to get. Don't make your love, your attention, your affection a transactional currency. Make it unconditional. The phrase of, if you vacuum, we can have sex. If you let me go out with the girls, we can watch football tomorrow, or you can watch football tomorrow. Stop it. Those kinds of transactional permissions, those, the tally sheet of who's done what, who's spent the most time away from the kid, that, that whole thing, the dealing and the bartering and the transaction about who gets to do what. And guys, I'm telling you right now, it will create a toxicity in your marriage that is so hard to undo and heal from because every action feels like a debt, indebtedness or trying to earn something. It doesn't feel like sacrificial love. It doesn't feel like giving. And so if you're in that matrix of craziness, of balancing time and attention and stop, stop it. Now I get it. I'm not saying that you stay at home all the time and your husband gets to do all of his hobbies. That's not what I'm saying. But you know when you've crossed the line of this, this tally sheet, balance sheet mess. Allow him to be masculine but call him out when he's being toxic. All right, men. Masculinity is a big deal to me. It's a big deal to me. Because the messes we clean up at the church in marriages, the messes that we often clean up here at church, it's because of men. It's men not living this out. And I realize that everybody in this room right now is listening to the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast. And that some of these hard words are like, well, you can't say that. And we just throw the baby out with the bathwater. Please don't do that this morning. There, there is good stuff here. And we need to hear it as men. 
We need to hear this as men. What does loving your wife as Christ loved the church most often look like in your life today? It most often looks like more faithfulness. It most often looks like true faithfulness. That you give her your attention. That you put down your computer and you put down your phone and you engage. You give her your attention. Actually listen. That you give her your affection. If you've been married any longer than five years and you have not perfected the 30-second hug, pro tip, figure out how to hug your wife for 30 seconds. Just hold her. 30 seconds when in the kitchen. Maybe that you need more. Maybe a minute or two. Good on you. There's so much affection that can be passed when you just take a moment out of everything and just hold your wife. Give her some affection, men. Stop being passive. Go after her. Hug her. Hold her hand. Encourage her physically. Are you hearing me? Show her affection. Be faithful to her above everything else in your life. Guys, your job is great and that you come home maybe and you provide financially. I know that's not every marriage. I'm just speaking generally. You provide financially for your wife. I tell you right now, financial stuff is great. What she really wants is your heart, all of your heart, that you are so faithful to her. So stop being more faithful to your job than you are to your wife. Stop looking at porn and other women. Get to a place where she looks at you and she is so into you because she knows that you are so faithful to her that she doesn't have to question what you're doing when you're not with her and what you're looking at. That breaks her heart, men. Be faithful. Be faithful to her. If you, if you want your marriage in all the facets of it to go to the next level, be faithful. So committed and faithful to her, your marriage will go places you never expected. Recognize that your words about her have more power in her life than any other person on the planet. The way you talk about her to her face, what you say about her, what you talk about her in, with your friends, praise her, encourage her, tell her what she's great at and what you love about her. Use your words, wield that power well. Don't love to get. Stop asking for sex because you vacuumed the freaking living room. Come home early and watch the kids. Change a dirty diaper, for gosh sakes. I hear men all the time, well, I don't do that stuff. Like this is the 50s or something. Come home early. Play with your kids. Make dinner. Do 
stuff of sacrifice that you don't normally do for your wife and for your home and for your kids. It's not that hard, guys. Stop the dealing and negotiating, the loving to get, the tally sheet, the transactions, I did this, you owe me this. It will grow, again, toxic. Toxic. Finally, allow her to be herself. Don't try to make her something she's not. We do this in a lot of ways. And one of the ways that men do this is sexually. Where you try to make your wife something to fulfill your weird sexual stuff in your life. Some of you are looking at me like, what? A lot of you are looking at me like, I know. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm looking at. And I know how I'm treating my wife. Stop it. Stop it. Love your wife. Sacrifice for your wife. Die to yourself for your wife. That's what the text teaches this morning. And we're going to do something. I know we're long. We were long last time. Maybe some of you were waiting in the lobby. I don't care. At GBC, marriages are not perfect. And right now at GBC, we are dealing with what I would call an extraordinary amount of marriage pain. COVID has wrecked, wreaked havoc on marriages. There's lack of trust, lack of intimacy, lack of faithfulness. And we're dealing with a lot of it. And I know in this room, marriages are not perfect. And so I want to commit today to a time of prayer for marriages. If you, band, you can come out. Uh, if you are an elder uh, and your spouse that are going to pray this morning, I'd love for you guys to come to the front. So here's the thing. If your marriage is great, then you need to get out of your seat with your, your spouse and you need to come up here and you need to get prayed for so that it doesn't change. If you're in a great spot, get up here and get prayed for so your marriage continues. If you're in a place of the doldrums where you don't know up from down and you just, you're feeling lost and there's no intimacy and no connection and you want more of it, get up out of your seat, take your spouse's hand, come here to the front and these, fam these couples, these families are going to pray for you. If your marriage is a train wreck right now, you hardly are talking to each other, get your butt out of your seat, get to the front. I don't usually talk this way. I don't usually preach this way. This is a big deal to me. Big deal. Get up. Men, get up right now and get next to your wife. If you're not sitting with your wife right now, we're going to stand, we're going to sing. Get with your wife. Hold your wife's hand. Praise God together. Come forward and get prayed for. All right, let's sing.